I've been listening to Adam Grant do the podcast book tour with his new book, Think Again. And none of them really connected with me until this one on the Next Big Idea podcast. I think it resonated because he's friends with Rufus, the host. And there's a lot of good ideas in there. Challenge networks. Don't let your ideas become your identity. Treat arguments like a scientist. And some thoughts on opening other people's minds by preaching, not prosecuting. Um, having fewer points or asking how the other person arrived at their conclusion, doing motivational interviewing, and complexifying the world, avoiding binary bias. So a lot of good ideas in there. I recommend listening to the whole thing. But the clip that I'm going to show you today is an untold story that's not in the book about how Steve Jobs was often wrong, and that runs against the typical impression that we have of leadership, that it needs to be very definitive and certain. So here goes. I think it's so nice to see examples of leaders who are more comfortable with their humility. The examples of the young Steve Jobs and, and the Barry Dillers of the world have always frustrated me. I feel like a lot of people have a desire to have this kind of obnoxious, resolute leader mythology. It's interesting, Rufus. I, I cut a chapter from the book that just wasn't quite working. It, it was basically about the idea that we think of Steve Jobs as a visionary thinker. And mm -hmm, the story mm -hmm. we tell, the myth anyway, is that it was his reality distortion field, his ability to bend the world to his will that made Apple great. Yeah. And I think if you really study the history of Apple, if Steve Jobs hadn't surrounded himself with people who knew how to change his mind, yes. that he might have never changed the world. He, he didn't want to make a music player. He insisted, he swore that yes. he wouldn't make a phone. Yes. And it was, it was the team of designers and engineers around him who convinced him to do a lot of rethinking. Uh, I, I ended up scrapping the chapter from the book because it felt a little bit too tactical. But something really interesting happened. Just, this was a week and a half ago now. I got an email from Ed Catmull out of the blue. Mm -hmm. And I've admired Ed since I first became aware of Pixar. He invented computer animation, <laughs> founded Pixar, led it. And I got this note from him saying he was listening to my book on Audible and going through the hardcover in between. And I'm just going to read this to you because I thought it was so interesting. He said, as I was listening, while on my spinner, a flood of memories came back. I think I worked longer for Steve than anyone else, and I watched him change considerably. But he was always someone who understood viscerally that there's no upside in being wrong. And that was such an interesting contrast to the, the popular portrayal of Steve Jobs. It doesn't mean he wasn't stubborn, but it does mean he was willing to be convinced. And Ed said, he said, I believe you have the essence. He was rethinking all the time, and I got my way two-thirds of the time, either because I convinced him or he gave up and let me do it my way. Interesting. And, and my question there was, I've heard from so many people that Ed Catmull brought out the best in Steve Jobs. Yes. That Steve Jobs was kinder, that he was more open-minded, more thoughtful when dealing with Ed than anyone else. And what I'm so curious about, and I'm reaching out to Ed to find out what his answer is on this, is that just because Steve had so much respect for Ed's intellect? Or is it because of the strategies that Ed used to open his mind or some combination of the two? Yes, yes. No, I think this is a part of the Steve Jobs story that is often ignored, which is, again, I think we have this attraction to like the asshole 
like just incredibly decisive and certain startup founder who just drives their way forward. And, and, and the fact that Steve Jobs famously had this view that people don't know what they want. He was in some sense is perceived to be the opposite of the scientific method. He was basically like, our, our consumers don't know what they're going to want in five years. We have to tell them what they're going to want. But I think there was this evolution of Steve Jobs to some degree in that he started off as a, a pretty stubborn, difficult character. But you do get the sense reading about him that Pixar, as you say, was this incredible culture of collaboration. And I think that Steve evolved as a leader and precisely because maybe of Ed Catmull and the Pixar culture. Yeah, I think that culture had a big impact on him from everything I've heard. It seems like getting kicked out of his own company or nudged that'll, or that'll forced. That'll do it, that's yeah, right. That, that that's helped right. a little bit, failing a bunch of times, yeah. maturing. But I think one of the things that that I don't see talked about enough is... The, the whole customer thing, I think, is also misrepresented. The, what's the apocryphal Henry Ford line? If I asked my customer what they would have wanted, they would have said, a faster horse. So you can't talk to the customer. Yeah. I think that's a gross oversimplification of what Steve Jobs believed from mm -hmm. talking with dozens of people who worked with him closely for years. He was very interested in customers' problems, the things that drove them crazy, the things mm -hmm. that frustrated them. He just didn't trust their instincts about the solution because he thought mm. they weren't thinking far enough ahead or they didn't have necessarily right. the technological expertise to figure it out. And so I think the, the Apple view of the world, which is maybe a rethinking for some of us, is to say, you know what? You, you want to do a lot of listening to find out what people's pain points are in the world. Mm -hmm. But don't always assume that they have the right solution to their own problems.